not being coiled and wrapped at the end. Yeah. So when I'm right. trying to right. make that final push. See, and, and, and I, I have... somehow managed to be for that stupid one I fouled at pin round. Oh right. Still mad but about. The... I'm pretty sure that was a 60 foot. Yeah, it was so... a 60 foot one turn and it never got marked and it's just gone. But, but, but what you said was kind of perfect there because that is the two types of throwers. You have guys that have fast feet and no coil and guys that can coil but are slow because they're coiled. And so if you're a coiling athlete, you need faster feet. And if you have fast feet, you need to get coiled. And that's the, mm -hmm. you know, there it There's is. The right. <laughs> so, one turn, the people have requested to know drills. And I just explained this, so I feel really silly, but that's all this podcast is, me feeling silly. We are going to go over really just what we think the best drills are for each event. We got to ask this question several ways of what is the best for new throwers or what is the best if you have a time crunch. And the answer really ends up being the same either way. Good drills are good drills, no matter what. Um, a drill isn't what's going to push you from a 49-foot open stone to a 50-foot open stone. That's something else. So these are just good drills for anyone to do. If you're a new thrower, just listen harder. <laughs> Turn the volume up. Um, we still have Jerry Whitman with us. Uh, we just finished his regular episode but he is going to be our honorable guest on this one turn because jerry's a fantastic coach so you have jeremy you have matt and you have jerry hello hey ta-da look at that all right we are going to go traditional order because it makes the most sense and we're going to talk about stones first these are not necessarily specific well they are in a yeah. sense because you're not going to do some of the drills we talk about for braymar but in general we're going to talk about stones do, do you want to just i know we have notes on this one for once but do you want to actually just say your favorite, my favorite, his favorite, and we just go Ooh, that way on all of them? we could do that. Like, we have a cheat sheet, but we could just go off script just, on this. <laughs> this so, is the one where it makes we, sense. We, <laughs> we finally said, hey, let's write down our ideas to make sure our podcast let's be organized is... Yeah, let's, let's start putting effort in. We finally have a logo that's real. Let's try. And then Matt's immediate thought was, let's abandon that. <laughs> Let's go rogue. Ah, he said the thing. You have to drink. Um. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, then let's do that. Let's just go round table. Um, sure. We'll go... I was going to say clockwise, but this is not a visual medium. No one no one knows what we're doing. Um, All right, I'll just go first. Uh, a drill for stones in general. I do like toe to board. I know it's the first thing we wrote down. Um, but I love that as a drill and also my way to warm up throwing. Because uh, one of my problems is staying wrapped and that drill hits heavily on it. So I guess we should describe what yes. these drills are for new throwers. I forget what I'm doing here sometimes, folks. Um, a toe to board is exactly what it sounds like. You're going to put both of your toes at the trig. You were just facing straight into the sector. You tuck the stone or the shot or whatever you're practicing with and you're just going to wrap yourself up to your right if you're a right-handed thrower left if you're left and then uncoil and push it out in front of the trig it doesn't have to be incredibly high effort it can be um i know mike beach has been a proponent of there should be days where you track your drills um and i don't have a problem with that at all but i also think there are days where you should just go in there and look for a feeling so i'll leave that up to you guys to structure your training however is best um but I really like working on that feeling wrapped and then feeling my left shoulder coming around and doing what it's supposed to and feeling reaching beyond the trig because it's such a modified drill. If I step over the toe board or the trig at the end, it doesn't matter. 
I just want to feel what I'm supposed to feel when I'm throwing a tote aboard. Um, so I, I really like that one, both as a warm-up and as an actual functional drill to get you better at throwing. And you can do it with a heavy stone, you can do it with a light stone um, or shot, whatever you're practicing with, which I have also become a big enjoyer of practicing with a shot. That's actually been really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think probably my favorite shot drill um, is actually just flicking the stone off your hand. So, like, standing up, you know, over a stone and tucking it in. If you're a right-handed thrower, you'd use your left hand, lift it up to your right hand, and your right hand's at about, you know, breast level, and just pushing down straight into the ground and feeling the flick off of your fingers. Really right. breaking all your toes. Yeah, it's, especially for... Um, a natural stone where if you've never touched the stone before you don't know how it's going to come off the hand you don't know if you're going to be able to tuck it right taking you know you can take 15 or 20 of these in a minute real quick or a minute and a half while everyone else is still putting on their shoes and understand the way the stone feels and get used to how you're going to be able to get into position so that you can get that flick on the end of it with a, a open stone this might make a four or five foot difference on on your farther throws just being able to actually feel mm -hmm. the stone on your Braemar, it can make or break me for being able to tuck a stone. So because it, it all comes down to just pushing and flicking. So I really like that one. You can even do this sitting on a bench. I used to do this as part of my warm up in track and field is just grabbing my shot and sitting there. You know, you're gonna have nervous energy, like getting your nervous energy out on something that is productive. That's right. really cool. Man, one of my favorites is uh, the total board. <clears throat> and I'll take a few with both toes to the board. Uh, do the coil, get a little bit of a knee pop, but then I will advance that, take a few throws with, take my right foot back as a right-handed thrower, drop it back, say, six to eight inches, mm -hmm. and take a couple more that way. So now I'm actually starting to incorporate the lower body even more as until I eventually get into a full power position. So I'll use that as a progression, yeah. starting with the total board, three to five throws there, six to eight inches back with the right foot, six to eight inches back further with another three to five throws six to eight inches back until finally mm -hmm. i'm in a full power position and now i'm starting to do full non-reversing throws i like that um i think mike beach has a video on those and he calls them quarter step throws where instead of taking your full step you're working back a quarter of the distance so good it's addition like, it's like starting with the starting with the release right yeah it's it's practicing that and, and then you're working from the top down Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, when we're teaching it, we're usually always teaching it as a chain reaction from the ground up. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, getting people to get in touch with that a little more is, is definitely good. Yep. Um, Open stone. Yeah, so then if we get into all of those will work for your heavy stone and your light stone. Um, but you have someone here who glides, someone here who rotates, and someone who's done it for 15 years in the game. So, uh, me as a glider... As much as I hate this drill, it is probably the most useful is A-frame drills or A-drills, however you refer to them, where you're actually starting with your egg, eggs. Do whatever you want with your eggs. It's your body, your choice. Um, start with your legs in an A, and then you're trying to pull your right foot quickly underneath of your right hip into a good position and then throwing. Um I should do more of this because it's what I'm bad at. And when I do it well is when I have thrown stones well, ironically enough. So I, as far as to get you functionally better as a glider, you, you definitely should do more A-frame drills. As much as they are uncomfortable, that's the reason they exist. 
Yeah, and this is a, a really normal track and field drill, so you'll be able to look this one up oh, on, yeah. on Google Images, and as long as you put shot put after it, it'll uh, you'll be able to find that one. Mm -hmm. um, for me, as someone that does a um, uh, as a rotational thrower that actually starts facing away from the trig, so I do the full um, Olympic shot put style spin. I really like um, either the the wheel or mirror drill, um, but more than that, I like the decathlete glide. So the finish of your throw either way is pretty similar. I really like finishing more like a glider though than a rotational thrower. So I still try to punch through at the end and get my right shoulder very far over the toe board. Um, and then I kind of just pray that I can hook on to the, the toe board to actually stay in um, rather than scratch. So a decathlon glide is instead of coming off of, if you're a right-handed thrower, instead of coming off of your right foot into a glide, you come off of your left. And so what that's going to do for you is it's, it's going to let you feel getting your hips a little bit more rotational because you are pushing off with your left hip that needs to swing in front of you. But it also still lets you punch through the finish like you would on a glide throw. So it's kind of, you can use that actually for a glider also. Um, and for a lot of guys that don't have the coordination to be, uh, to start gliding, it's basically one step better than a shuffle. So you're still getting low, you still have all the benefits of a glide, it's just a little bit less technically uh, challenging. Is that similar to what they also call switch foot? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. I, I That's started, what I had referred, been referred to as. Yeah, I started doing them about a month ago, and I like them for the purpose of feeling the stretch reflex on my left side. Right, yeah. And actually feeling that open up, because it was an area I was shortchanging myself in my glide, and having a drill where I'm opening on the left side, yeah. and feeling that before I start pushing was very helpful i did them for about a week before i went to mountain state <laughs> no you had a good showing in mountain state yeah it was good okay. i think it got better yeah <clears throat> and then Penn, you uh, really um like i like the a-frame glide that jeremy was discussing uh my key on that one is that when i'm in the a-frame and i go to uh kind of i guess push my hips forward i get my right foot to turn at least 90 degrees so that my knee and toes are under me. Mm -hmm. And then that way I can actually get my leg and hip to punch through. Yeah. But cueing that to punch through first before I uh, have my shoulders come around, mm -hmm. become if my shoulders are neutral to my, my hips, well, then I'm not going to get any time with the implement. Right. to be able to throw it well. So I've still got to keep that right shoulder back and stay coiled while that leg is getting under me to drive. And if that's your issue, the one-two drill is basically that without the A-frame preceding it, where you stand with your feet where they would be in the power position, you one, turn your ankle, two, turn your hip, and then you throw and you're breaking it up into pieces that you can then try and yep. put together at speed. So, all right, good. We've covered stone. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Matt, as a former competitive shot put thrower, is there anything else you think people should know before we move on to weights? Like, if you were to gear this toward new throwers, because that's where most of our The natural stone is completely different yeah, than yeah. a shot. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, absolutely. And that would be, um, unless you have someone that is teaching you how to rotate, glide, or shuffle, don't bother. Like, you should just be power throwing. If you're on unfamiliar footing, just power throw. Um, you need to get your power throw stronger and you need to feel comfortable in that position um, before you ever progress beyond that. So like if you aren't 
if you can't even power throw consistently, you're not going to be able to learn to glide or rotate with, with any added benefit. You're going to use twice or three times the energy to throw three inches farther, and that's going to ruin you for every other event. So, and, well, and the whole point of the glide or the rotation is to get you into that power right. position. You have to understand. Momentum. Right. Yeah, to, and if, if you're looking at your numbers and your Braemar is only a foot shy of your open stone power throw, you are missing something somewhere. You either don't have a fundamental level of strength or technique or both, and you really should hammer your power yep. throws. And there needs to be a, a decent gap before you then start moving. And you may not see an appreciable gain at first because it's a new movement, but yes. Yeah, I'll yep. take a mental note of yeah. them with uh, cones. Set up mm -hmm. cones in five-foot increments, and I'll know that, okay, as a, like going back to the toe board ones, my toes to the board i'm in the first five foot section then when I, by the time i've dropped my feet back you know eight to 16 inches i should be in the next five foot section right mm -hmm. and then by full power position i should be in the next five foot section yeah so kind of keeping yeah. track of that helps to, to wrap up stones here another thing to consider is that um, for everything else we should be looking at highland games athletes because they are the best at what we're doing in this specific field when you're looking at open stones watch track and field athletes, right? That's where you're gonna find your best gliders, that's where you're gonna find your best rotational throwers. There are people out there whose entire careers, professions, livelihoods come from specifically the shot put, right? So look up uh, Throws University, look up Garage Strength, look up Arete Throws Nation, you know, just watch Olympic throwers YouTube videos and see what they're doing on the shot and you're going to have a million drills even in the power throw. So that's, uh, can I throw like Ryan by watching just one of his videos? Absolutely. Yes, better. Is that how it works? Yeah, he's too yeah. tall to throw well. Change your name to Krauser and then right. it'll just be better. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are like nine of them that have gone to the Olympics. So. Oh, maybe. Like, yeah. Have a baby with one of them. Ladies, if you're listening, and go right. for it. Um, <laughs> there aren't that many women that listen. I've seen the analytics. Right. Uh, all right, moving on to weights. Heavyweight. I'll, uh, I'll take first again, and I actually won't take what's listed as number one or two. I'm going to go with something that's technically not a drill, and I'm going to go ahead and call underweight implements. Mm. I'm going to say that that has been really helpful. Um, if you throw in the open mins, and you've... This may not be as useful for new throwers, because you need to get your time in with a 56. It, it is going to be uncomfortable. And, but if you start throwing a 48 or 42, you're not actually going to get as much out of it. But once you've thrown a game or two, grab a 42 or a 48 or some underweighted implement, and it is going to be fantastic because you can work through all the other drills that Matt and Jerry are about to cover, but you can do it 10 times more because you aren't beat to crap and your hand isn't falling apart and your back doesn't hurt. So underweight implements for the heavyweight is is a big plus yeah i'll i'll add to that and actually say overweight implements also even on the the heavyweight i mean there's there's time you shut your mouth there's times in my training where i will this put, is a strong man talking right yeah. I'll, I'll put an extra 10 pound plate on my 56 so that i can really feel it um drag behind me and so that it kicks my ass again right because i want to feel it drag me across and to see where i'm off balance right so um over and underweight implements on the heavyweight um because it's got to start to feel light to you. If the heavyweight always feels heavy, it's never going to go far, right? It has to, You have to get to a point where when you pick it up, it feels light. And part of that comes from strength training. So like unilateral uh, farmer's carries or suitcase carries, I guess is what they call them. You know, you start to walk with 
200 pounds in a hand or 300 pounds or 400 pounds per hand in just one of them, a 56 is going to start to feel light for you. Um, but yeah, as far as drills go, a one turn, but with the preface that it needs to be in the position that you are landing in a two turn. If you're doing it should your, be your sprint portion of the throw. It, sprint drill. It has to carry over. If you are doing something mm -hmm. different, if you're getting extra, if you're setting up different than how you're going to land, it means nothing, right? It's an entirely different throw at that point. So you have to actually be taking the time to get into that position, see where you're landing, and think about it as an extension of the full throw. Heavy Jerry, weight. yeah, heavyweight, Jerry. Favorite heavyweight drill? Uh, single turns, uh, but in the sprint drill. Uh, with the 56, it does get difficult to, to be able to move it mm -hmm. by itself. So that's the whole point of doing a two-turn is to progressively accelerate the weight mm -hmm. as you move closer to the trig for the, for the actual throw. But the sprint drill has been the most effective one for me. And I'll even do those uh, underweight and do them where it might only go five feet. Like I'll, as soon as I get into that power position and want to release, that way I'm not wearing myself out and I can get some more reps in because I'm focusing on my turn, focusing on my casting, focusing mm -hmm. on landing, you know, all of the other aspects of the drill. It's, it's not every, not everything has to go far mm -hmm. every time you throw it. Correct. Um, we touched on that earlier because when Matt and I were making this list, we talked about cast and drops. I'm not a fan of a cast and drop where you drive it into the ground behind the trig. I like to lackadaisically let it come off to the right instead of driving it down. But cast and drops are nice um, for that same sort of reason of focusing on the turn. Um, our honorable mention goes to power throwing the heavyweight. Mm -hmm. But we discussed this and we realized that there are a lot of new throwers listening to this. And you may not actually get something out of just power throwing a 56-pound weight. You may not be able to yet. That being said, if you do have some experience throwing and you are halfway strong and you've been debating working it in, I'd say it's worth time to give it a shot because that is going to be my favorite drill for lightweight here in a minute. I'm going to segue that and say power throw your lightweight for distance. And that is a fantastic drill and something, again, that I typically use. Oh, that's a big bug. Look at that. Is that cool? Did you find that outside? Guys, I'm not even going to edit this out. We got a cool-looking rhino beetle or dung beetle. It looks like it's, a rhino beetle. Yeah. It's huge. That's dope. You don't see a lot of those in Virginia. You don't see a lot of those around here. It's huge. It was like two <laughs> inches long. Yeah. I mean, that looks like a six-inch beetle to me. <laughs> 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 so all right welcome welcome to bug corner guys this podcast is shifting we're here to talk about bugs this is sponsored yeah, by really rhino i saw Haley's head rising up the stairs and she goes i found something <laughs> it's like who come here yeah this is worth stopping for i'm not even gonna edit it out you should like preserve that in like epoxy or something like that. Yeah. Oh, and then and I know my daughter. On it. I know oh, Silka yeah. would do something with it. She does. Uh, she's got her Instagram yeah. of magically created. Yeah, I recognize where a lot she of makes those bones. Yeah, she makes dead things pretty. Yeah, it's in the bone. I love that you're quoting Ace Ventura Cordell without ever seeing the movie. I've done yeah. my job well. All right. Um, All right. So power throws with a lightweight. Yes, power throws with a lightweight are almost as cool as giant beetles. Um, because it is lighter and more people can do that, so I would say new throwers, if you try and do that and it feels bad, that just means you need to do it more often, where that may not be the case with the heavyweight. Um, 
it's how I warm up for almost all of my lightweight practices at this point. And like Jerry said earlier, this is one where I'm not tracking distance. Like, I know what my warm-up throws should go relatively, and as long as I'm seeing it fall out in that region, I, I'm cool with it. I'm just trying to feel what I'm supposed to feel when I finish the lightweight. So I really enjoy uh, power throwing it. So I think, I don't know what the name for this is, but something I have found... We're going to call it the McDougal if anyone else has a name for is, it. ...is tremendously uh, beneficial for me is taking time to sweep out the back more, right? So I will intentionally just do that and overemphasize um, or exaggerate getting the weight low behind my back right foot in the back um, of the, the lightweight throw, and then I will drive the weight straight up in front of me, and I will just do that. And I will throw from that position sometimes, but... It's not so much a one turn as it is the, you know. It's the, only your cast portion. Yeah, it's, it's only my, your feet. Yeah, You're literally a, casting the weight in front correct. of you. Correct. I'm, I'm throwing from a cast, basically. Um, and they don't go any amount of distance, but I can feel the weight getting very low and very far away from me so that I can actually drive. So it's setting up myself to do, to go into a one turn from there. It's almost similar to It's a, very similar to your board. power. Or that. Right. Yeah, it's kind well, of it's very similar to your too. Yeah. Well, are your are your feet parallel to the trig, or are your feet perpendicular to the trig? His aren't I, because he's when you do right. Yeah, I, so I'm lining up with my left foot in front of my right foot when I do that. Okay, so that's perpendicular right. to the trig. So it is like you're starting off in the into the it, sprint drill. It is very yeah, exactly. It's so very which similar. is similar to being in Jeremy what he's talking about with the power position throw. The only difference is, is you just have two different focal points. Right. Yep. Right. Your focal point is uh, behind you, having the low point and being able to push it and keep the biggest, longest, radius orbit you can right. and focus on that. And Jeremy's is trying to focus on getting that sweep on a release. Yep. Which is which is an interesting thing to bring up because one of the things that we get accomplished by focusing on um, drills or cues like this is what that actually does for me is it gets my knees bent. Right. And so I could say the same thing by start with uh, a deeper knee bend position in the back and I would accomplish the same thing. But for me, the way that I get my knees down is by not thinking about my creaky knees. It's about thinking about getting the weight low and behind me. Mm -hmm. and so Whereas for me, me, it's about thinking about my lower body moving right. instead of the weight. I do better on lightweight when I ignore the lightweight. Right. Yep. So. I get the lightweight to go behind me. I, I like the combination of what you guys were doing. Um, I do the sprint drill is my favorite one because I can focus on casting it behind me, getting that low point, getting a big orbit, being able to actually drive in my sprint so that I can get into the power position. I mean, that's your release. money maker. And a lightweight is, is driving is. forward. Absolutely. Yep. So, 100%. Um, I think it's really fun to listen to Matt and I talk, and you guys may or may not agree with this, but from the fact that we both are trying to accomplish the same thing, but we do it differently, but we both do it objectively okay, um, I've really enjoyed being able to articulate that. Because we had this conversation before the episode started, too, about uh, cues for the lightweight, for the heavyweight. And for me, I like knees together and Matt likes ankles together because we are accomplishing similar goals, but because we move differently... It's just interesting. I think if anyone was going to get any value out of this, I like that you guys are actually getting two different viewpoints on accomplishing the same thing because you may hear me say a cue and it may not click and then Matt says his and it does or vice versa. So um, Venmo me to... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Every time you agree with me and not Matt, you pay me a dollar. Right? Those are kilted gorilla. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, um, but I think that's a fun thing to point out because I like that we're 
doing that. All right, hammers. I'll take my favorite throwback or throwback. That's my favorite drill is the throwback. Um, so this is what got my hammers up finally because I am still not a speedy hammer thrower. I am capitalizing on leverage and uh, length. So what I really like doing to, to describe this as best I can, Mike Beach has a video on it. It, it does better than I'm going to do it right now. I'm a dynamic starter. It doesn't matter whether you're starting pulling off the ground or not. But you're taking it from your low point behind you, however you had it there. You're throwing it almost hip to navel level in front of your left hip for a right-handed thrower and then pulling it straight behind your left shoulder. Reverse everything I'm saying if you're wrong-handed. But <laughs> wrong-handed. Left-handed people are the only ones in their right minds. Good for them. Yeah. They'll never be president. Um, so <laughs> you're going to take it, throw it in front of your left hip or slightly higher depending on your leverages, and then pull it straight behind your left shoulder and let it go. And what you should be doing is creating a straight line from your hip to behind your head. And when you turn around, that hammer should have gone directly behind you. And that is how you know you're doing the drill well. And that is teaching you to actually push your shoulders through so you can catch that hammer on the right side and start on the correct foot. And that being in a good position from the start is way better than anyone who's ever tried to correct a hammer halfway through a throw. So I like that drill for starting well. I, I think it's a good one to, whether you're going to do a one turn, a two turn, a three turn, however many turns you do in your throw, if you're not starting well, it's going to go poorly. And man, I, I can't say enough good things about that drill. Hmm. And I hope I described it halfway well just now so you guys can at least know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, hammers for me, and it, this is going to be the same heavy and light hammer. I don't throw them any differently. It, correct um, for me as well. I think we made that difference earlier that... Hammers are one of those where the weight doesn't make a difference right. in your drills. So so there are two for me that come to mind. And the first one is um, I will take the hammer and I will put it up high above me, like in a corner where the head of it is actually resting on something. And I will grab the end of that hammer and I will rotate my body around, if that makes sense to you guys. If I can make it make sense to you guys, I can make it make sense to anyone. Mm. So like if I You're I coiling yourself it, up. Kind of, I'll, but like I'll put the head of the hammer in a door frame, right? So like in okay. the top corner of it, and I will... Over your right shoulder or left? Both, and then I will actually feel myself twisting through and pulling on oh, it. Oh, okay. So I can feel it above me, because I can't slow down that portion of the throw to actually feel what I should be feeling. So to articulate that to people, Matt just made a motion almost like as if he grabbed the top of a power rack and stretched his upper body out with his hands together. Yeah, absolutely. So like... I could yeah. do this with a rope, too. If you had a rope hanging, yeah. then you could grab the rope and start leaning against it and feeling how your hand should be over your head. And then you could actually pull down on it so that you yeah. could start to feel your lat engagement on the swing down and on the swing up, right? And is it in front of you or behind you? Behind me when I'm doing this. Okay, yeah. so it's almost like if you were to pause a throw when someone's catching it over their left shoulder, that's the... The position that you're yep. emulating. Yep, absolutely. Because I, I can't slow that down with an actual hammer in my hand. No, because it because gravity because takes can't. a hold and it's right. going to fall one way or the other. Yep. Yeah. So that that's been a big one for me because I always struggled with feeling the swing down. I could yank it when it was in front of me because that feels like a power clean. But the act of accelerating from above me to below me has always been something that has eluded me. And as soon as I figured that out, I PR'd my heavy hammer by eight feet my light by seven so in in the course of two weeks actually once i was able to feel those positioning um and then the other one is 
accentuating the finish of the throw by actually driving harder off my left foot to the point that I'm intentionally scratching. So taking my left foot, feeling the hammer line up, driving it back against it and stepping over the board. So okay. intentionally fouling through that, which, you know, if you don't lift your foot up, then it's not an issue. But just finishing a throw, I think it's been... I would, the only caveat I would put on there is that if we have new throwers listening, probably don't intentionally foul. Yes. That's a, you're adding the final 2% to your throw. That is not a, hey, that's a drill you should do every day. Now you're working on the fine, now, fine yeah. motor skills. If you so, have an intermediate right. to advanced thrower, then yes, start working on stuff like that. New throwers, I would say, be careful with that is all. Yeah. Uh, my favorite hammer wines for both heavy and light is going to just doing wines and actually on mm-hmm. both sides of the body. Uh, like Jeremy was describing, I would consistently keep that back shoulder, catch it behind me, push it around to the front, let it throttle down a little bit, and then push it and then catch it behind me and push it again. And I do that anywhere from three to ten times on the right side, do three to ten times on the left side. Uh, it really feels like a good stretch, too. Uh, nice warm up. Yeah, and I don't have room to throw hammers where I live, but I'll use hammer wines as a general warm up before I go throw sheaf. Um, there are plenty of hammer drills that you guys can go look up. We're going to try not to get too deep into them because this is a one turn, and the point is to just give you a little bit of info. But hammer wines are great for that reason. You also don't need room to throw them. If you live somewhere where you don't have a 150 foot field to safely do this in, Go find somewhere where you can just stand still and do wines. There's different ways to accelerate your wines. Work on, uh, say, a one turn, a one wine, two wine, three mm-hmm. wine progression. Yep. And then uh, I think Dan McKim was really good about this uh, at doing a th- doing get, working up to a three wine progression and then launching it into the ground on his mm-hmm. right side. Matt and I were talking about that one earlier. Yeah. There, uh, there's a million ways to vary your wines. You can make them overweight too. You can go buy some cheap little pig iron plates that fit perfectly over the Schedule 60 or 80 PVC, and you can overweight your hammer if you want to actually get a little bit of work out of it. So there's great ways to do that. We didn't. um, Like for sheep, there's a snatch drill. Yeah, yeah, which we were were on caber. Yeah, all right. So caber. (laughs) We're going traditional, Jerry. Um, All right, caber drills. uh, Once again, there's not exactly a ton of them, but pick and walks. Yeah, uh, it, it, it'll fix so many issues. Whatever your issue is, spending more time walking around with a caber will likely fix it. Like, I, picking others. Even. Yeah, yeah. Just, if you have just, a problem with just picking. Wait your turn. It goes me, oh. then Matt, then you. Damn it. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for saying it early. So mine is picking walks. I, I, learning to be comfortable walking around with a tree in your hands is not a natural thing. So pick it up walk around with it don't try to throw it don't try to do anything just set it down gently when you're done and do that a bunch matt talked about it on a previous episode how that was what got him feeling comfortable with caper was just doing that 10 to 12 times every morning with his bear do claw it. pick yeah yeah with his functionally incorrect no just kidding if it gets in your hands it's not incorrect i'll make fun of you but it's not wrong so who has the best caber at the table Arguably, who can turn the biggest caber at the table. Who can pick the biggest caber more often? Yeah, but I get. Well, I yeah, when you do it wrong, I haven't <laughs> met a caber yet, even a pro level caber that I haven't been able to pick. Exactly, plenty of them that I can't. Turn. I could, I could pick them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, I so picked that, that one. I picked that yeah. one. I picked, no, that that actually leads into mine though, because mm-hmm. I was going to say 
um, cut down bigger trees than you can handle, right? So like, oh, overweight implements. Overweight implements, right? Because you know, get get a tree. You know, if you're if your local Highland Games are throwing a 17 foot long caber, get a 22. If your local Highland Games are throwing an 80 pound caber, get a 100 pound caber. Yeah. For everyone sitting in their apartment right now listening to this, what's stopping you from owning a 22 foot caber? I don't see what your problem is. <laughs> Chain it to the bike rack out front. Right. Confuse people. Yeah. Hang Be, it off. Uh, become ungovernable. Yeah, just leave it in the park. Said the man the whose job line. it is to enforce the government. Yeah. Put it in its own parking spot. Right. Mm-hmm. Jerry, caber drill. Uh, caber drill. It's uh, finally your turn. Yeah, pick and dumps. Um, but being able to just have different sizes available to you really helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, even starting with a 10-foot. Uh, I remember when Liesl would first start throwing, I got her just an 8-foot fence post. Yep. And that's what she started with. Yeah, it's a, it, the pick is the most uncomfortable part, especially for new throwers. Especially for a traditional pick. You know, using all three yes. points of contact, paying attention to it, mm-hmm. popping, literally popping it with purpose, yep. and then getting your hands under it and catching it very gently. It requires a level of commitment that, if you've never held a tree before, is very hard to come in with. So mm-hmm. working your way up from... Literally buying a round cedar fence post and then moving up. Is... The other one I like is, uh, and I learned this one from Pokoski. It was one per. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Pokoski's training was that he would he would just uh, pick and run, and just outrun the caber and just let it dump behind him. I was actually going to bring that one up. Yeah, if you yeah, your collarbone. Mind. Yeah, yeah uh, do that if you can do it safely. Right. Yeah, but that's that's actually another one for caber where um, I didn't like most of the stuff that was in the contrarian, but their their way that they approached the caber of like. All right, I'm going to pull it while it's straight up and down. All right, I'm going to let it fall one inch and pull it. All right, I'm going to let it fall 10 degrees and pull it. And seeing where they could and couldn't get away with pulling on the caber, seeing where they could and couldn't get away with accelerating the caber, that was an awesome breakdown, I think, because it's an event that I think a lot of people just kind of ignore, and they say, oh, I'm either good or I'm not good at it, but like it can be broken down the same way as every other caber. Or every other event. But if they if they pull too early, it ends up becoming a javelin. Or if they don't finish with their follow-through with their hands behind their head. Right. right? It change, I need to changes the pivot video. point. I haven't watched that since you and I watched it at your house like three years ago. Uh, I've digitized it. But I won't send it to you because that's illegal. So I don't know why I even brought yes. it up. <laughs> <laughs> he would never even digitize it. That was satire. Yeah. All right. Um, Caber Sheaf? Chief. Sheaf. Uh, bottoms up drills uh, they're fantastic regardless of what your throwing style is whether you're a, a drive and pull or a reach and rip thrower bottoms up drills are great uh, it should be similar to your one turn in my opinion for your weights if I had to equate it to something your one turn distance ultimately shouldn't be that far off of your two turn your bottom up drill ultimately shouldn't end up that far off from your full sheaf throw and everything in that is to scale. If you're a 30-foot-plus sheaf thrower, I'm not surprised if your bottoms up only gets you 24. But if you're a 20-foot sheaf thrower, I do expect your bottom up to be 17 to 18 feet. Like, I expect that to be much closer. So do your bottom-up drill to, again, I, we forgot to do this for some of the other ones because caber is kind of self-explanatory. You are placing the bag and fork for... If you're throwing off your left side, the typical right-handed thrower method, you are placing the bag off your right foot by 6 inches to 10 inches, depending on your levers, applying force, and then simply pulling up. There's no actual backswing. You have the bag 
on the ground and your fork fully in it and you pull from there. That mm-hmm. is a bottom-up drill. Also Go referred to as a snatch. <laughs> yeah, if you're Jerry. He's the only person I've ever heard call that. But Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. To, to add to that, something that you should be searching for in that uh, drill, one of the feelings that I've always known that I have it in the right position on my full throw, and so what I search for in the bottoms-up drill or whatever you want to call it. I always call it a bottoms-up drill, so I don't know. Anyway, um, in that I'm drill, the only oddball. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're new and we don't know what we're talking about. You're not about, invited so. back for the next one. <laughs> don't ever contradict me again. But um, is that uh, feeling of my lat stretch of the hand that is on the forehead, um, because that's what I'm trying to search for and what I'm trying to find when I'm actually throwing is feeling the stretch reflex in my body because it's such a short pull that you have to be finding as much stretch reflex as you can. Um, but yeah, I think my favorite drill for the sheaf is actually just throwing with both arms. I don't think that um, we... And that's that's honestly true for most of the throws, but I think especially for something that's going to be so hard on your um, you know, side delts and your shoulder and on your lats and on your biceps, like it is an incredibly violent motion. Um, to not be using both arms. Not if you throw it slow like I do. Right. It's uh, It can be an incredibly violent motion. <laughs> it should be. And there, you get so much more out of motor learning when you're going to both sides. So, like, taking the time to just, like, if you're left... should do that. Right. If, you're, if one shoulder is starting to feel janky, stop using it. Right? Don't end up like a lot of the throwers we know that should be throwing pro numbers that aren't because they're constantly or hurt. should be lightweights, right. but aren't. Yeah. Or, you know, Jordan Patty. But, um... Yeah, just don't be like Jordan Patty. Just don't be anything like I him. know you may look at him in Nazga and go, I should emulate that guy. Don't. Don't. Sure. <laughs> I haven't met Jordan Patty yet, so I'm not going to get in there. No, no, no. Take a hard stance. <laughs> to, to stay on this podcast, I need you to take a hard stance on Jordan Patty right now. Lay it out. Haley, hmm? for or against Jordan Patty? I love Jordan Patty. Oh, damn it. All right, I'm 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 gonna be with Haley. Damn it! Now we're tied. All right, whatever. Jerry, sheaf drills. Uh, sheaf drills. I don't really do a lot of drills on that. I will do a bottoms up, but uh, I will focus on just repetition mm-hmm. of the same movement. If I'm working on a drive, then I'll focus on making sure that I get that stretch reflex in my backswing, and being able to drive it all the way through the entire motion. As because it's not only pulling the bag, I'm also trying to push the bag. I feel like it's a combination of both movements. Yep. I dig it. All right. Weight over bar. Um, again, there aren't a ton of drills out there for this. I am a big fan of the water bottle drill. This is one of the few events where I will help you if you send me a video, because I think it's one of the few events I'm actually technically good at from a technical perspective. Um, but for the bottoms-up drill, you're going to place a water bottle that's partially full so it doesn't blow over in between your heels and you are going to when you come back not hit the bottle and on your way out you are going to hit the bottle and you can change this up however you want if your problem is not going in high enough get a one liter bottle that's taller if your problem is not going out low enough get one of those little baby bottles and put that on the ground because it's going to teach you when to hit it and when not to so you are making sure your entry is high and your exit is low so I think it's very good for teaching that portion of weight over bar which is honestly again it's kind of where you eh, 50 50 you make your money on the pull and you make it on the backswing but it's it's a good half of the throw that if you don't have down you're shortchanging yourself so i think it's a very good drill um 
I'm going to take a, a completely different stance on this one. Okay. Now that I've been thinking about it. I think the best wob drill you could possibly do is... This wasn't best drills. We're just saying what we like. Why has it got to be a competition? I think the absolute best <laughs> non-debatable drill you can do for wob is um, actually a strength movement, which is a narrow grip sumo stance high pull, right? Because like, there's, there's a lot of positioning things that you can do for the wob, but you also just have to be strong. So I think that my cue is So just, your drill is to be stronger? Yeah, my drill yeah, is just no, to be stronger. No crap. So, so just throw higher? Yeah, that also carries over for uh, Kaber, by the way. But uh, I, yeah, I don't really have a good drill for, for wob. I'm still... I've thrown 15. I only I know of game, so two, know. and I've thrown 13. But right. at the same time, I only know of two wob drills. Yeah. So if I had to pick a favorite out of that, it's a water bottle. I say my least favorite wob drill is anything rotational. Don't, don't yeah. do that. Spin to win is a lie, folks. Yeah. This podcast it's will not real. forever preach that. And if Jerry says spinning after this, I'm cutting his mic. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry? Spin it to win it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so... Uh, no, I like the water bottle drill because it really helps me focus on sitting down after the after the weight has gone under me and behind me, uh, sitting on it as it comes out so that I can then explode in the snatch on the up. <laughs> Sit in it to explode on the snatch, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the only other drill, since we kind of just mainly harped on one, if you are having issues in your timing in the back, Go in high and then just sit and let the weight fall back behind you. Don't even pull. Just literally reach as far back as you can. Sit down with it until the weight just hits the ground, quote-unquote, gingerly. It's still 56 pounds, but that's really the only other drill I'm aware of for weight over bar. I'm sure there are others out there. That's the teaching the patience part of it because people tend to pull way early. You start pulling early and... The it's hard to feel it happening as much, it but someone will watch you, and it's like watching a chain that was slack suddenly become tight, and it's painful to watch. Um, but if you're analyzing your throws videos and you notice yourself doing that, that's a good drill for teaching patience in the back part of it. Yeah, honestly, um, the, uh, just a backswing. That is something that is a relevant yes. uh, drill for the wob, because I see a lot of people um, let the uh, implement get slack, right? They don't keep constant tension on it. And that kills you. So whatever you need to do to keep constant tension, whether it's just throwing it behind you and feeling it or maintaining constant contact with it, um, whatever drill you can find to feel that feeling so it never comes out of, uh, what's the right word here? So it's always in constant tension. That's what we want. Yeah, and what I will say to that point is you don't have to finish all of your wob pulls. It is practice. You don't need to throw over a bar every single time. Maybe you do because of individual reasons, but as a general rule of thumb, you don't need to sit here and pull the 56, 15 times and wear your back out. You can literally just do a full throw, quote-unquote, without throwing it. You can let it go in front of you. It doesn't matter. And that brings me to the last point that I tried to make a note of so I wouldn't forget it, and this applies to everything, and it's something we've kind of touched on, but varying intensity. Practice is practice. There's nothing wrong with having a 50% day a 60% day, a 70 and 80 and so on, or having all those in the same practice saying that, hey, I'm going to do power throws at 50%, and then I'm going to try and hit them at 70%, and then I'm going to have a couple where I really go for it. That is a very good tool that can be applied across just about every throw shy of caper. Yeah, Caper is really the only thing where you can't short intensity because you're going to drop a tree on yourself, but all other eight events you can throw with varying levels of intensity in order to get your training where it should be to help you feel positions or to help you get reps in and build motor patterns either way you want to do it 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, another important thing to think about for practice. I just completely slipped my mind. There we go. It's gone. Get stronger. Yeah. Is that yeah, what you were going to say? I had something actually. Marrow grip sumo snatch high pull <laughs> GHR. Good mornings. Trend. Let's talk now. Yeah, um, so, so one of the things that we'll do in practice a lot when it comes to the drills we're doing um, is like we won't actually take two turn weight throws until we've hurt, hit a benchmark throw with our one turns, right? So like if Jeremy isn't throwing his one turns 55 feet, he's not going to, in the lightweight, he's not going to bother throwing a two turn because he still is messing something up, right? So we try to break it down until we are throwing the numbers that we know we should be throwing out of the drills consistently before approaching the next part which, of the movement. Which is one of those other things where I would just say it's going to be harder for a new thrower to gauge, but it's not a bad way to look at it. If you're a new thrower, I would say, and don't have a game in the next month, then start doing that. Right. If you're a new thrower and you have a game coming up soon, please just go throw. Yeah. I think probably a good rule of of thumb is like a five to ten percent right mm-hmm. like if your full throw isn't five to ten percent farther than a one turn on the weights don't do it don't do it if you're, you're drilling a bad motor right. pattern at that point something is wrong with your two turn right and there's no reason to keep repeating it and you'll have something more to fix yeah. when you actually get better at it if you're gripping ripping hammers you know x feet and you're only and you're adding a rotation you're only doing you know x and ten percent or x and one percent there's something wrong and you have to fix that, right? So like know where it's starting to break down, which is what Beach was talking about. It is good to know where your drills are going Mm -hmm. because without that, we are just kind of shooting in the dark. Yep, I think there's an argument to be made for both. I think both for tracking drills and for having days without the tape. Yeah. And I think it's, we're not your coach. You're not paying us. This is a free podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So be adults and figure it out. Air? Is that how we're ending this? Where I yell at everyone, tell them to be adults. He's crinkling. I'm crinkling. Yeah, which is really good for audio right. on a podcast. So, bye.